Section 18 of the Critique of Dogmatic Theology and Investigation of the Christian Teaching by Leo Tolstoy Translated by Leo Weiner Chapter 12, Part 2 This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org Recording by Ezekiel Ocala, Florida. Chapter 12, Part 2. Quote, if one of us should ask, not from love of controversy, but from a desire to know the truth, why did the Lord suffer death on the cross rather than any other? Let him know that that particular death and no other could save us, and the Lord suffered precisely that for our salvation. Or if he came for the purpose of taking upon himself the curse which had been upon us, then how else could he become a participant of the curse if he did not suffer the death which was under the curse? And that is the death on the cross, for it is written, Cursed is every one that hangeth on a tree. Galatians 3.13 In the second place, if the death of the Lord is the redemption of all, if by it the middle wall of partition is broken down, Ephesians 2:14, and the calling together of the tongues takes place, then how could he have called us to the Father if he had not been crucified? For it is only on the cross that one can die with extended hands. And so that is the reason why the Lord had to suffer death on the cross and on the cross to extend his arms in order with one hand to attract to himself the ancient nation, and with the other the pagans, and thus to unite them in himself. He predicted that about himself when he wanted to show with what kind of a death he meant to redeem all. If I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. John twelve thirty two, And again, the enemy of our race, the devil, having fallen from heaven, is wandering here in the aerial sphere and ruling over demons who are like him in disobedience. And by means of them he entices with visions those who fall victims to his deception, or in every way tries to hinder those who are tending upwards. Thus speaks of him the Apostle Paul, calling him the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Ephesians 2, 2. For this reason the Lord came to depose the devil, to clear the air of him, and to open a new path for us to the heavens, as the apostle has said, through a curtain, that is, through his flesh. But that he could do only through his death. And what death could it have been other than the one that takes place in the air, that is, on the cross? For only he who is crucified dies in the air, and thus the Lord has not without cause suffered death on the cross. Having been lifted on the cross, he purified the air from the snares of the devil. Redemption, the church says, is a fundamental dogma on which the whole doctrine is based. Where is it expressed? In the Gospels, that is, in the words of Jesus Christ himself, who came to save men, and in the words of the evangelist who wrote down the words of Christ. There is not any mention of this dogma. The church asserts that the dogma is expressed in Christ's words, quote, The Son of Man must be lifted up, unquote. In the Spurious words, quote, 
the Lamb which taketh upon himself the sins of the world. Unquote. In the words, quote, The Son of Man has come to minister. Unquote. In the words, quote, I am a good shepherd who will not spare my life for my sheep. Unquote. Then in the words, when breaking the bread, he said, quote, This is my body. For you do I break it. Unquote. And at last, in what Caiaphas said, that is, obviously, untrue, but, according to the teaching of the church, all this is expressed more clearly in the epistles, that is, in the interpretations of Christ's words, and more clearly still in the interpretations of the fathers. But the redemption is the fundamental dogma of our salvation. How is it, then, that Christ, who came to save us, did not more clearly express the dogma? but left all this to the interpretation of Epiphanius, to the unknown epistle to the Hebrews, and to others. If this dogma is not only so important that on the belief in it depends all our salvation, but also is simply necessary to men, and Christ came down upon earth out of love for men, he ought to have expressed it clearly and simply at least once. But as it is, he did not even hint at it, and everything which I can find out about this great truth, which is necessary for my salvation, I must draw from the writings about Christ, composed by various persons, and from the interpretations of some fathers, who apparently did not understand themselves what they were saying. This is what it goes on to say, what I must believe in, and what Christ meant to say to all men, but did not say. 152. Very detailed exposition in the Word of God of our redemption through the death of Jesus Christ. Number one, Christ has purified us. Number two, has redeemed us. Number three, has reconciled us to God. Number four, has freed us from the slavery of sin. Number five, has established a new covenant with God. Number six, has made us the adopted children of God. Number seven, has given us the means for being holy. Number eight, has obtained eternal life for us. It turns out that Christ has given us eight advantages through his sacrifice. But all these advantages are imaginary, for no one has ever seen them or ever will see them, as was the case with that sleight-of-hand performer who reeled the virgin's endless hairs which no one could see. After Christ, all of us became pure, holy, no longer slaves to sin, eternal, and so forth. Thus the fathers assure us, and I am compelled to believe this time what they tell me, not about something invisible, but about myself, although I know that all that is untrue. And again, as always, what is not and cannot be is explained at great length. About the moral law of Christ, there is just half a page, en passant. But about the essences, about redemption, there is no end to words, though that has never been and never can be. One would think that all has been said, but no. Now we get a discussion about the 153 disclosure of the method itself of our redemption through the death of Jesus Christ. Quote, 
The whole mystery of our redemption through the death of Jesus Christ consists in this, that he in our place paid the debt with his blood and fully satisfied the justice of God for our sins, for which we ourselves had been unable to pay. In other words, in our place he achieved and suffered everything which was necessary for the remission of our sins. The possibility in general of such a substitution of one person for another before the judgment of the justice of God, of such an acquittal of a moral debt by one person in the place of another, or of others, must necessarily be admitted by common sense. A. When for this substitution we have the will of God and the consent of the supreme lawgiver and judge. B. When the person who has taken upon himself to pay the debt for other delinquent debtors does not himself stand in the place of debtor before God. C. When he voluntarily determines to execute all the conditions of the debt that the judge may impose upon him. And D. When, at last, he actually offers the pay which fully satisfies the debt. Quote, all these conditions which we have borrowed from the example of our Savior and have only generalized have all been fulfilled by him in his great deed for our sake. Our Lord Jesus suffered for us pain and death by the will and with the permission of his Father, our Supreme Judge. It was precisely for this purpose that he, the Son of God, came down upon earth in order to do not his will, not his own will, but the will of him who sent him, John six thirty-eight, and during his whole life busied himself only with doing the will of his Father. Unquote. I have quoted this as a specimen of that involuntarily blasphemous form of speech which is employed by the author whenever the subject of his speech is a blasphemy. What kind of debt and pay and court is he talking about? What kind of an expression is this? Quote, God busied himself only? Unquote. And thus, number one, Christ suffered for obeying his Father. Number two, he was sinless. Number three, he suffered voluntarily. Number four, the pay for the debt as offered by Christ surpasses the amount of the death, and a surplus, some change, is left. It is even analyzed who gets the pay for the debt. All that is not my invention. Quote, who received the pay for this redemption? Some represented that it was brought for the prince of this world, the devil, in whose captivity we all are. But St. Gregory discusses as follows, For whom and for what was this blood spilled, which he spilled on account of us? the blood of the great and most glorious God and high priest and victim? We were in the power of the deceiver, sold for our sins, having bought our injury by our lust. And if the price of the ransom is given to no other than the one who has us in his power, I ask, to whom and for what reason was this ransom paid? If to the deceiver, then that is offensive." The robber receives the ransom, and receives not only from God, but God himself. For his oppression, he takes such an extortionate price that it was right that we should be spared for it. But if to the Father, 
then in the first place, in what manner? We are certainly not in captivity to him. And in the second place, for what reason is the blood of the only begotten one agreeable to the Father, who did not receive even Isaac, who was offered by his father, but exchanged the offering, having given a ram in place of the sacrifice of the promise? But from this we see that the father received the ransom, not because he demanded or needed it, but on account of his house management, and because man had to be sanctified by the manhood of God, in order that he himself might free us, having overcome the tormentor by force, and might lead us up to him through the Son, who mediates and arranges everything in the honor of the Father, to whom he turns out to be obedient in everything. Unquote. 154. The Extent of the Redemptory Actions of Christ's Death Christ's sacrifice not only redeemed the sin, but a surplus was left. This surplus is, number one, for everybody. Number two, extends over all sins. A. Redeems the original sin. B. Every sin. C. All previous sins. D. All future sins. This truth was unanimously preached by the teachers of the church. For example, quote, A. By St. John Chrysostom, that the benefits given by Jesus Christ are more numerous than the evils destroyed, and that not only the original sin was destroyed, but also all other sins, that the apostles said in these words, The free gift is of many offenses unto justification. Romans 5, 16. And farther, by the grace was destroyed not only the original sin, but also all other sins. And not only the sins were destroyed, but righteousness was given to us. And Christ set aright not only what was injured by Adam, but reestablished everything in a greater measure and a higher degree. Unquote. Quote, number three, for all times, that is, from the beginning of the fall of man to the end of the world, therefore, A, Christ is called, on the one hand, a lamb, and on the other, a high priest. Similarly, B, the redemption achieved by him is called eternal, C, and his priesthood unchangeable, for he ever liveth to make intercession for them, Hebrews 7, 24, 25. How to understand this intercession for us by Christ the Savior in heaven is explained by St. Gregory the Divine. To intercede means here, Hebrews 7, 25, to negotiate for us in the capacity of a mediator, as is said of the Spirit who maketh intercession for us. Romans eight twenty six. Thus also we have an advocate in Jesus, 1 John 2, 1. Not in the sense that he humbles himself before the Father and falls down before him as a slave. Far be from us such a dreadfully slavish thought, which is unworthy of the Spirit. It is not proper for the Father to demand it or for the Son to suffer it, and it is not right to think so of God. The Blessed Theophylactes of Bulgaria some have understood the expression to intercede for us to mean that Jesus Christ had a body and had not put it off as the Manichaeans speak idly. 
That is precisely what his intercession before the Father is. For looking at it, the Father recalls his love for men, for the sake of which his Son assumed the body and is inclined to charity and mercy. Unquote. By the way, as one reads similar passages, it becomes evident that the whole mysterious, incomprehensible trinity represented itself in the imagination of the Holy Fathers in the form of three distinct, quite well-defined anthropomorphic beings. And finally, quote, number four, the redemption extends over the whole world, unquote. The world of the angels was separated before, but now men unite with it. Nature was cursed and did not produce of itself. Now this curse no longer exists, so that the redemption extends over everything except the devils, because the devils were so infuriated. Some Christians assume that the devils, too, were redeemed. Quote, the opinion of the ancient Gnostics, Marcionites, and Originists, who extended the action of the redemption to the fallen angels themselves, was rejected by the teachers of the church and solemnly condemned by the whole church at the Fifth Ecumenical Council. Unquote. All that is confirmed by Holy Scripture and forms part of a dogma. 155. The consequence of the deserts of the cross of Jesus Christ in regard to himself, the condition of his glorification. Christ is glorified as a reward for having come down into the world. 156. The relation of the sacerdotal ministration of Jesus Christ to his prophetic ministration. Quote, Although the chief aim of the sacerdotal ministration of Jesus Christ, that is, of his whole exhaustion, and especially of his death on the cross, was to achieve our redemption, he at the same time suggested himself to this exhaustion also for other purposes. Unquote. The chief aim is the redemption, but in addition, there were also the following purposes. Number one, to give us an example by his life. Number two, to deprive the Jews of their faith in the coming of the Messiah in glory. Number three, to make void the laws of Moses. Number four, finally, he died in order to give a clear testimony of the truth that he was God, that is, that which he constantly denied being. All this chapter is remarkable in that it has not the slightest foundation in the holy canonical scripture, but is all based on the apocryphal account, has not the slightest human meaning, and, what is most important, appears to every fresh man quite superfluous. Only by subjecting the theology to a close study can one guess what it is needed for. There is but one purpose which this chapter has, and that is to solve the contradiction that all men perished before Christ, whereas we recognize the saints of the Old Testament. What is to be done with them? And so the apocryphal account of Christ's descent into hell is taken, and the question is solved. And there appears the royal ministration of Christ. After that follows a chapter on the royal ministration of Christ. Quote 3, 157 connection with what precedes. 
conception of the royal ministration of Christ and the truth of his ministration. The truth of the royal ministration of our Savior is quite clearly testified to in the Word of God. Number one, he was born a king invested with power. For unto us a child is born, proclaims the prophet Isaiah. Unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Angel of the Great Council, Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, the Father of the Future Life. And great is his government, and of his peace there is no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom, to order it and to establish it with judgment, and with justice from henceforth, even forever. Isaiah 9, 6, 7. Compare with Luke 1, 32, 33. Matthew 2, 2. He was a king and had royal power in the days of his humiliation, for he himself adopted the name of king, as is seen from the accusation which was brought against him by the Jews. Matthew twenty seven eleven through thirty seven, Mark fifteen one through thirty two, and as he actually affirmed before Pilate, John eighteen thirty seven, he applied to himself the regal power, as the words of his prayer to God show, Father, the hour is come, glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee, as thou hast given him power over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. John 17, 1, 2. In his very acts he showed himself a king when he entered Jerusalem, according to the ancient prophecy. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion! Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem! Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass, and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. Zechariah 9, 9. Compare with John twelve fifteen, Matthew 21, 5. And when he received the solemn acclamation of the people, Hosanna to the Son of David, blessed is the King of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. Matthew 21, 9. John twelve thirteen. Finally, in all his glory and power, he appeared as a king in the condition of his glorification, when he said to his disciples, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Matthew twenty-eight eighteen, And when God actually set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and hath put all things under his feet. Ephesians 1, 20-22 Those are the proofs of the regal order which the church ascribes to him who said, That what is great before men is an abomination before God. 158 In what actions was the royal ministration of Jesus Christ expressed? His miracles. His ministration was expressed in miracles. They are all counted out. Cana of Galilee and Lazarus and the casting out of the devils. Quote, Even thus in the days of the exhaustion of our Savior, 
when he was achieving mainly his prophetic and sacerdotal ministration, his miracles showed that he was at the same time the king of the universe, the vanquisher of hell and death. Unquote. 159. The Descent of Jesus Christ into Hell and His Victory Over Hell Another regal action of Christ's descent into hell and his victory over it. Quote, 1. The teaching that the Lord Jesus actually went into hell with his soul and divinity when his body was in the grave and that he went down there to preach salvation is an apostolic teaching. Unquote. There follow proofs but not all agree upon what Christ did in hell. Some say that he took them all out, while others maintain that he took out only the righteous. Quote, St. Epiphanius, Christ's divinity together with his soul went down into hell in order to lead to salvation those who had died before, namely the holy patriarchs. St. Cassianus, having penetrated into hell, Christ, with the splendor of his glory, dispelled the impenetrable darkness of Tartarus, broke the brazen doors, and led the holy prisoners, who were kept in the impenetrable darkness of hell with him, to heaven. St. Gregory the Great The wrath of God, in relation to the souls of the righteous, passed away with the arrival of our Redeemer, for the intercessor of God and of men freed them from the prisons of hell when he himself went down there and led them up to the joys of paradise. Quote, it must be added that if some of the ancients expressed the idea that Christ led out of hell not only the just men of the Old Testament, but also many others, or even all the prisoners of hell, they expressed that only in the form of guesses, suppositions, private opinions. Unquote. 160. Resurrection of Jesus Christ and His Victory Over Death Quote, As Christ destroyed hell by His descent into hell, though He had even before shown His regal power over the forces of hell, even so He vanquished death by His resurrection from death. Unquote. 161. The ascension of Jesus Christ into heaven and the opening of the kingdom of heaven to all who believe in Him. Quote, before the descent upon earth of the Son of God, heaven was, so to speak, shut against all earth-born men, and, though in the house of the Father there are many mansions, John 14, 2, 3, there were no places in them for the sinful posterity of Adam. The just men of the Old Testament, after their death, themselves descended with their souls to hell. Genesis 37, 35. But after our Lord appeared in the flesh and reconciled God with men, heaven with earth, after he had freed the just men of the Old Testament from hell by his descent into it, and had risen from the dead, he, at last, solemnly ascended heaven with the human essence which he had assumed, and in this manner opened for all people a free access to the kingdom of God." Unquote. A proof of this is the expression of the symbol, which is to be taken in the direct sense, having ascended heaven in the body, and sitting in the body on the right hand of his Father. 162. Will the royal ministration of Jesus Christ come to an end? The kingdom of Christ will end 
when there will be the judgment. All will be resurrected. Then Christ will transfer the kingdom to the Father, say some. Quote, but the evangelist Luke 1, 33, and Solomon, Wisdom of Solomon 3, 4 through 8, understood the original power in which, having an uninterrupted dominion from eternity to eternity, the Son never received his dominion from the Father, and never will turn it over to the Father. Unquote. Thus there appears an explanation of the royal dignity of Christ. The words about the kingdom of heaven give the church an idea about the royal dignity of Christ. The royal dignity is considered by the church as something very good, and it attaches it to Christ, to him who proclaimed the blessedness of the poor, who preached to them, and who himself said that the last will be the first. 163. Moral Application of the Dogma About the Mystery of the Redemption One would think that there could be but one application of the dogma. Christ earned above his calculation with a surplus. These deserts saved us from all present, past, and future sins. So, one has to believe firmly in that, and one is saved. Thus says a part of the Reformed Church, and thus live all our Orthodox churches. But for decency's sake, it says among the lessons that in order to follow the teaching of Christ, it is necessary, number one, to believe and live thus, Number two, to walk in the regeneration of life. Number three, to esteem the law. Number four, to give thanks for the sacrifice. Number five, to make the sign of the cross with the hand, because Christ died on the cross. Number six, to live holily. Number seven, not to be afraid of suffering. Number eight, to pray to him. Number nine, not to be afraid of the devil. Number 10, to hope that we shall be resurrected. Number 11, to hope for the kingdom of heaven. Christ appears and brings with him a joyful message of blessedness for men. His teaching is humility, of submission to the will of God, love. Christ is tormented and executed. Up to his death he continues to be true to his teaching. His death confirms his teaching. His teaching is adopted by his disciples, and they preach him, and say that he is equal to God by his virtues, and that by his death he has proved the truth of his teaching. But his teaching is salutary for people. The crowd joins the new teaching. They are told that he is a divine man, and that by his death he has given us the law of salvation. Of all his teaching, the crowd understands best that he is divine, consequently a God and that his death has given us salvation. The crude conception becomes the possession of the crowd and is mutilated, and the whole teaching recedes, and the first place is taken up by the divinity and the saving quality of his death. The whole business is to believe in this new God and that he has saved us. It is necessary to believe and pray. That is contrary to the teaching itself, but there are teachers who undertake to reconcile and elucidate, and they reconcile and elucidate. It turns out that he is God-man, that he is the second person of the Trinity, that sin and a curse were upon us, and he has redeemed us. 
and the whole teaching is reduced to the faith in this redemption, and the whole teaching is left out and gives place to faith. It is necessary to believe in Christ, the God, and in redemption, and in that alone lies the salvation. Of the teaching of Christ, since it cannot be rejected, there is the merest mention. It says that, among other things, Christ taught self-renunciation and love, and that it does not hurt and is even good to follow him. Why follow? Nothing is said about that, since in reality it is not needed for salvation, and salvation is obtained anyway by the sacerdotal and royal ministration of Christ, that is, by the very fact of the redemption. Here we have again the same as in the case of the original sin and the deification of Christ. The doctrine about the redemption is obviously crude. A true idea, verbally comprehended, is reduced to a teaching, and a prohibition is imposed on any other interpretation than the one accepted by the church. With a certain effort, as I recall my childish years and some feeble-minded persons, I can imagine how such a narrow conception of the meaning of Christ may be alone accessible. But why not permit me to think, as I do, that Christ has saved us by having discovered the law which gives salvation to those who follow it, and that he has redeemed us by having sealed the truth of his teaching by his death on the cross? My conception includes that of the church, and not only does not destroy anything, but puts forward as the first important work effort, that effort by which, according to the words of Christ, the kingdom of heaven is now received. It does not exactly reject, but merely ascribes less importance to those reflections about the purposes and means of God, about which I can know nothing, and which I understand less the more I am told about them. Is it not better for me to believe only that God has certainly done the best for me, and that I, too, must do the best I can? If I am going to do so, without discussing what the redemption consisted in, and what it was, whatever it may have been, it will not get away from me. And how about it, if I put my reliance in the redemption of Christ, and neglect that which I ought to do for my redemption? End of section 18.